Just as the, the world outside has to do, isn't it true that we as Christians have major, major decisions that we have to make at various points throughout our lives? You know, stuff like, where should we study? Or what career path should we choose? Where should we buy a house? And then I suppose one of the big ones is who To, to a section of scripture where we have got not just Abraham, but we have also got Abraham's servant seeking God's will and trying to identify a, what is it, a, identify a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. Now, here's the thing, but before we launch into this tonight, okay, can I just say, this is not, some of you might be thinking because of the sermon title, some of you might be thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to catch up on my sleep tonight in church that this is not relevant for me uh, that you know I'm not searching for a spouse you know you might think well I'm married or I'm not looking to get married and so therefore I'm going to catch up on my Z's tonight in church well can I say no please no um, yes of course these verses here are they are particularly relevant to, to people who are single and who are looking to get married. Of course they are. Of course it is. But you also see that the, the principles here, Genesis 24, the, the wider, bigger principles at play than, than just that. So this is relevant to all of us in this room just now. It is relevant to us. So with that said... Let's turn to Genesis chapter 24. You've got it in front of you, Genesis 24. And let's consider our first heading. And that is, uh, we see here, obedience to the will of God. Obedience. Obedience to the will of God. So, uh, okay, what happens in this account? What, what goes on here? <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. I think we could, we could get this story wrong. I think we could easily get the story wrong if we skim over it. Or we treat Genesis 24 in the way that we sometimes do with portions of Scripture, and we treat them as Sunday school stories. We could get this wrong. We could think that Abraham here is just concerned with finding his, his son a decent wife. 
We could think that's what this is about. That, that Abraham is kind of like, you know, one of these mothers. You know, how it is, you sort of see them on the TV, a mother who, you know, the, let's say the daughter moves away from home, moves away to university or moves away to another town, and, you know, the phone goes once a week, and it's mum on the phone, and she's like, hi, how's things? And there's a bit of small, t- small talk. But then she gets down to, so is there anyone on the scene? You know, should I be sort of looking and listening for wedding bells? You know, we could think that that's what this is about here with Abraham. But it's not. There's much, much bigger things at play here. You see, Abraham isn't concerned in this chapter so much with his son settling down as he is with his own covenantal obedience. That's what this, this is about Abraham's obedience here. Now think about it. All the way through all of these chapters, we've seen this, this focus on the covenant. Now what was it that Abraham was promised in the covenant? Do you remember? He's been promised land. We know that. He was promised that he's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. We know that. What else was he promised? He was promised descendants. Wasn't he? Do you remember the phrase from last week or the week before? He was promised sort of descendants as numerous as the, what was it, the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. He's promised kids, offspring. But think about it here, Genesis 24. There's not much sign of that, is there? You know, if, if Abraham is going to, 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 to have offspring, what needs to happen? Isaac needs to have children. And before that happens, Isaac needs to find a wife. And let's face it, there's, there's no sign of it going on here. Isaac is about 40 years old at this point. And there's no sign of anything going on here. So what happens? What, what, goes, what, what goes on? Abraham gets involved. You see, he is keen, he is determined to see him and his, and his family obey the, the covenant. And what I want you to see here is just how resolute and how determined Abraham is to follow God. Because think about what happens in the first section of this chapter. Do you see what happens? What does Abraham do? Um, he, he, he gets his, his main guy, his main dude, his chief servant on the case, doesn't he? And he sort of commissions his servant to go and, and he says, right, you have to. You have to find a wife for my son. And he gets him to swear an oath. Did you, did you get the details of the oath here? I mean, it's, it's a solemn oath because it is an oath. I'm so glad we do not do this anymore. This is an oath, a solemn oath. Firstly, it's before God. But then, do you see, it involves putting a hand under someone's thigh. You know, it's a, a bit strange, isn't it? Why? Involving a delicate area of the body to emphasize the, the real solemnity of what is going on here. Abraham is very serious about this covenant obedience. And I think we see that most clearly in the time of life that Abraham looks for a spouse, for a son. The time of life. What do I mean? Well, in, in our society, we 
I suppose it's maybe always been the case, but in our society, we place a great deal of emphasis on a person's last words, their final expression, their last words. We place a lot of emphasis on that, don't we? You know, that's the case. You know, you know that, don't you? You hear that throughout history, your famous, significant last words. You hear that in literature. See it in literature as well. You know, think um, Julius uh, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. You know that? Probably a lot better than I know it. And, uh, you know, you've got Julius Caesar's last words there. He's sort of faced with his assassin. Is it et to brute? Whatever it is. You know, significant, significant last words. What we have to understand is that that's what is going on here. See this command that, that Abraham gives to his servant. Go and get, go and get my, my son a wife. See that command? That's on his deathbed. That's his last words, his last recorded words that we have here in scripture. And, and what is his concern? As he's lying there on his deathbed, what, what is this, what is this, what does he say here? His concern is for his and his family's covenantal obedience. So as we come to, to apply that, to, to see how it's relevant to us tonight, surely, surely, the first thing that sort of jumps out at and challenges us this thing is Abraham's godly perseverance until the end of his life. Isn't it? I mean, he is a man who is just determined to follow God, to follow in, the, in, in God's way, and to do that right until he has breathed his, his very, very last breath. What do you think? Could that be said of, of you? Could that be said of us? Could that be said of you if you are a mature Christian? Could it be said of you? If you've been a, a Christian for a few years now, that, that you are now living more and more for, for Jesus Christ. You know, as you sort of consider it tonight, do, do, do you see a sort of, ah, yes, I, I have matured as a Christian over the past months and, and, and past years, that that's true of me, that I've, I've grown in grace and flourished? Is that true? Or is it perhaps the case that there's been stagnation? Maybe even a tailing off in, in, in obedience. As we think about Abraham here and his concern to be God-centered, absolutely devoted to God, even till his dying breath, does it not make us perhaps repent of our sheer indifference to God? And then surely the second challenge here it comes when we get back to this idea of decision making and when we consider who it was exactly that Abraham wanted Isaac to marry who it was that Abraham wanted I'm going to say something you can sort of tell me if I'm right or wrong with this okay let's get this right Abraham did not charge his servant with finding Isaac a wife Think that's right? Wrong. Abraham did not charge the servant with finding Isaac a wife. Abraham charged the servant with finding Isaac a suitable wife. You see that? 
there are qualifications here. This is not just any old wife that we are talking about here. The wife had to be from Abraham's people to continue this covenant line. This wife that the servant is charged with, it had to be a woman who was willing to live in Canaan, in the promised land. Do you see that? It is a suitable wife. And so the lesson for the single of this congregation can be more stark, can be more important. And I don't need to to, to say to, to single people that you know very well that one of the most important things in your life is going to be the choice of a spouse. You know that. But let me say to you, ensure, like Abraham, when that moment comes, you choose a suitable spouse. As a Christian, your chosen spouse must be from among your own people. As a Christian, your chosen spouse must already be living in the promised land of Jesus Christ. And can I say to you, more than that, please ensure that any prospective boyfriend, any prospective girlfriend, isn't just paying some sort of lip service to Jesus Christ. Scripture makes it absolutely abundantly clear that genuine faith, real faith, is observable by a person's life and by a person's actions. So before you get into any sort of a relationship with anyone, ensure that that person's love for Jesus Christ can be seen in the way that they live. Friends, Abraham here was concerned with not just finding a wife, but finding a suitable spouse. And he was concerned with obedience to God, even to his dying day. Okay, let's, let, let's, let's move on. Let's consider a second heading. We've seen obedience to the will of God. Secondly, searching for the will of God. Searching for the will of God. Okay, let, let me ask you, can you remember how we... Um, begun the sermon. We're saying that we are supposed to, as Christians, try and follow God's will when it's a decision in our life, but that establishing God's will isn't often, perhaps, all that that easy to to do. Well, as we move into the second section that you've got in front of you, from about verse 10 to verse 14, as we move from thinking about Abraham to thinking about the servant, what we find there are a number of principles that really can help us to, to, to seek and know God's will in our lives. A number of principles there for seeking God's will, whether that be about family or whether that be about a job, whether that be, yes, about marriage. Now, here's the thing. There are just three principles that, that, that we're just going to run through very quickly that we see here. Three principles, but they're so important. Three principles about seeking and knowing God's will. First of all, let's consider this. In seeking God's will, we must use our God-given common sense. We must use our God-given common sense. Now, what does that mean? Well, what happens here in this chapter? 
Well, the servant, uh, he is charged with finding a wife, isn't he? So the first thing he does, charged with finding a wife, he gets camels together and he gets all sort of jewellery and riches together. And things that are going to later, what would you say, maybe authenticate the proposal or the suggestion of a marriage. So he gets all that stuff together. But do you see where he goes? Do you see where he goes? Now, what has he been commissioned to do? He's been commissioned to find a wife from amongst Abraham's people. So guess where he goes? He goes to Abraham's people. He goes to the city of Nahor. Now, you see where he goes after that? He's, 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 he's looking for a wife. He's looking for a woman. So where does he go? Guess what? He goes to where all the women gather together. He goes to the well that is outside the city. Do you see the point here? The guy's not an idiot. The guy's not daft. He's seeking God's will. So he goes to the right places and he uses his common sense. Now friends, surely the same has to apply to us when it is us that is seeking God's will. Let me say to you tonight, um, you know, it might be you that is in this specific situation that we're talking about. So, it may well be you that, like this servant that the Lord has placed on your heart, looking for a suitable spouse. Use your head if you're in that situation as a Christian. And don't go looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend in, in the wrong places. You know, God would just see, wants you to, to have a suitable spouse. He wants you to have a Christian spouse. So what do you do? You immerse yourself in the life of the church. If you must, if you must look amongst the people of God. It's common sense. A second principle, you know, it's slightly controversial. In seeking God's will, rely on the Lord, not through signs, but through scripture. Not through signs, but through scripture. How is it controversial? Well, what happens in Genesis 24 is that this servant speaks to God in advance of seeing any of the women of the city. And what he does is he asks God, he prays, he asks God for a sign. Did you pick up on what the sign was? So before any of the women have come out of the city of Nahor, he, he prays that when he asks women for water, that the one that is chosen by God, that, that woman will say, yes, I'll give you water, but I will also water your camels right so there's the sign it's a test from god now please don't get me wrong what he's doing there is right i mean he is seeking god's will he is relying on god's will but i hope you see the danger with it now we could read this portion of scripture and we could say, okay, right, if that's what he's doing, then that's what I'm going to do in all decisions. I'm going to go into decision making looking for a sign from God. Now, that especially happens when it comes to marriage, doesn't it? When it comes to romance, 
the Jane Austen blinkers. Come on, don't they? And you know, we, we meet somebody and maybe there's a spark. And we're looking for a sign. You know, there's maybe a spark. And we're sort of walking along with this person and we're, we're chatting away. And oh, we discover that we share so much in common. It must be a sign from God. We're walking along and we speak at the same time. It feels so special. And oh, it must be a, a sign from above, right? Well, despite the fact that the servant is right here, can I sincerely issue a note of, of caution here? We live in a different portion of redemptive history to this man. You see that? Now when we are seeking the will of God, we go here. We go to God's word. We're not, you know, we don't rely on, 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 on signs and coincidences. If we're seeking God's will, we go to scripture where God gives us a myriad of commands about how we should be behaving. If it's managed, do not be unequally yoked. It's where he gives us a myriad of principles about what pleases him. Beautiful things for his glory. Do you see? Friends, romantic sentimentalism, it should never, ever supersede a sincere study of God's word. Romantic sentimentalism should never supersede a sincere study of God's word. Why? What did we just say? We sung. It is God's word that is a lamp to our feet. It is God's word that is a light for our path. And then the third principle... In seeking God's will, we must engage in meaningful prayer. And you, look, I, I know, it, you know, it sounds like I'm stating the obvious. We're seeking God's will, we pray. But I tell you, it would be folly if we were to continue and not note the example from this servant's prayer life. Just look at it. Before, and this is the important point, before he even meets the girls... He's at the well, before they've come out of the city, he's on his knees and he's praying. He does a couple of things. He acknowledges that God is sovereign over this decision. He acknowledges that. Then he appeals that in this decision that God would show him mercy, that he would be kind. Do you see the lesson? If you have a major decision in your life coming up on the horizon... If that's where you are, before it gets time to make that call, before you have that decision to make, be on your knees before a God who oversees every aspect of that decision and its consequences. Be on your knees and ask him to show you mercy. Friends, I think we really have to ask ourselves whether we do this stuff. Do we? In jobs and decisions to make and family decisions and in relationship decisions. Are we doing this? Are we using our God-given common sense? Are we, are we studying scripture, wrestling with scripture? Are we setting aside 
proper chunks of time to bow and to seek God's will for our lives. So, obedience to the will of God, searching for the will of God. We end with a third point. We see here the provision from the will of God. Provision from the word will. Now, let's get this right. Obviously, we've seen that Abraham sends his servant to find a suitable spouse. That's what Abraham's done. Then we've seen that the servant seeks God's will in this. Now, what happens next is significant. I'll tell you how significant it is. I think it was Ligon Duncan, who's the chap who's coming over from the States to speak at this London Presbyterian conference that I've been pushing week after week after week. Ligon Duncan's writing about this last bit that we are going to look at here. And he says this, he says, what we have here before us is one of the greatest ever examples, sorry, one of the greatest examples of divine provision ever recorded. One of the greatest examples of divine provision ever recorded. As even before the servant finishes praying, think of it that. Even before this man has finished praying to God about this, what happened? Rebecca, God's chosen bride, appears before him. Now, I was speaking to one of my friends uh, recently, and he uh, was leaving a congregation that he had been part of for about 15 years. That's a good chunk of time, 15 years in the same congregation. He wasn't a minister, but he'd been heavily involved in the congregation, and he was going away uh, to become a missionary in a different part of the world. And it was his last Sunday in the congregation. You know how it is, the sort of congregation, if they're feeling generous, they have a sort of whip round, sort of unbeknownst to him. And uh, he was telling me that at the after church fellowship, he had to come up the front and he said a few nice things to him. And he handed him the envelope and he opened it and he could not believe it. Not because there wasn't much, because there was an awful lot. He could not believe this, this envelope. And he says, you know, he was standing, he was so embarrassed because he sort of nearly began to cry at this point. But you see, the, the point with this portion of, of Genesis chapter 24 is that that's what's going on here. The emphasis of the text is on the fool. And abundant provision that God makes here. The the servant has asked God to direct him to a suitable wife, but God's not done just that. God has directed this servant to just the most perfect woman, this most perfect bride. And look how that brought that that's brought out. We are told that she was a stunner. Okay, we are told that Rebecca was an absolutely beautiful woman. And inwardly too, when we're told it's emphasized that she is a virgin, you know, that she is a morally upright woman. And then just check out her response. Remember the test? Do you remember the the, 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 the sort of sign that the servant wants? Check out her response to it. Now, do you remember what he wanted? He wanted 
if he was offered, or when he asked for water, he was hoping that she would offer water for the camels. She doesn't just do that. Look what she says. I mean, she, she says, she, okay, you want water, here's water. I will water your camels, ten camels, until they are completely satisfied. I mean, do you see it? She is absolutely awesome. And then this whole episode comes to this just glorious climax here when the servant gets to the point and he asks her, who is your dad? You know, he's seen that she is beautiful and he's had the right response and the tension is building. We know who she is, the author tells us. He doesn't at that point. He's got no idea who she is. And he asks her and then she tells him. And she says she is Bethuel's son. And he sees it. She's not just distantly related to Abraham. She is firmly entrenched within the, the, the covenant people within his clan. And the servant is just rejoicing. He has sought the Lord. And the Lord has perfectly, perfectly provided for this man. So let's close like this. Be assured tonight that in every decision you have to make in life, if you seek the Lord, if you seek the Lord's will, in everything the Lord can and will provide for what you need. In fact, do you, do you not see that that is the, the, the theme of these past chapters in Genesis? Do you see it? I mean, think about Isaac on Mount Moriah. Remember the dagger in the air and his dad's about to stab him. What happens? God supplies the ram. And thereafter, the mountain is called, the Lord will provide. Next chapter, you have Sarah dead. You have Abraham crying over the death of his wife. He is mourning. He is ripped to pieces. And the Lord provides the comfort of the securement of land. The Lord provides here. The servant seeking the Lord's guidance. What happens? Look at it. A perfect woman. The Lord provides. And then get it. Get the big picture. Do you see the big picture? The Lord provides a wife. The Lord then provides offspring for Abraham, out of which the whole tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel will come. The Lord provides one man to arise from that nation. Then the Lord provides what? A cross where that man will die. Then the Lord provides what? He provides the power to Raise that man from death. And then the Lord provides. He provides forgiveness from sin for all who will turn to that man in repentance. Now, I know that there are people in here tonight who are not Christians. People who are not saved. Let's end like we ended this morning. In a minute, we pray. Use that time, friend. Use that time to come to Jesus Christ and ask him for forgiveness. 
And let me tell you this. If you are sincere as you do that, do you know what will happen? You see from Genesis 24 what will happen. Before you even open your eyes. Spiritually speaking, your eternal spouse will stand before you. More beautiful, more glorious than you could ever have imagined. To love you, to to care for you, to forgive you, never to leave you, never to forsake you. Friends, the Lord perfectly provides. And he has provided us, his church, with a spouse. He's provided us with a saviour. Let's pray.